check, check a Rooney. All righty. Y'all can grab a seat. We're going to get started. There's a whole bunch of confetti here at the front. Um, they must have some sort of celebration. Uh, but it does feel like a party ending. The, the, the sermon series has been really fun to go through. Um, yeah, this series with you guys, the, the idea of following Jesus closely. And um, this last week, we're going to talk about the mission of Jesus, the multiplying mission. So we've, we've gone through um, talking about how what, what Jesus invited us into is into a religion of relationship, that it's not just a religion of rituals. Um, we've looked at this new life that he's offered. We've looked at, uh, yeah, a deeper truth as well. Uh, the, we spent a couple weeks on what do we do when life is confusing? How do we still follow Jesus when life is hard? And uh, yeah, last week was, was kind of heavy. It was about, uh, we called it the easier choice, but it was really difficult about choosing Jesus with your life, with everything, and how Jesus himself had this choice to follow his Father's will in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so it was a very, very heavy week last week, uh, thinking about um, laying your life down. And so I thought to lighten, lighten the mood today, we're going to do a math lesson. I'm going to do a math lecture, uh, which is very exciting for you all, uh, because the last time I took a math class, I failed so hard I had to change <laughs> majors. So uh, this is going to be great. Is, I'm, I hope you're really excited about math today. But uh, we're going to talk about this idea of multiplication and the way that Jesus, um, the way that he planned for his kingdom to expand. Uh, something really fascinating about Jesus is that he ended his three years of ministry. He, he ministered for three years on this earth. God himself came down and he ministered. And uh, by when he left, there was only about 120 people following Jesus that time. And really, really 12 people who, who kind of knew what, what to do with those 120 people. And you think about that. Three years, right? Three, 120 people. That's not a lot of people. If you're looking to start a movement, why didn't Jesus, like, wait till now, start a podcast, get, get some YouTube channel going, and, you know, mul multiple services a day? Why, did, why was there only 120? Why was there only 12? And really, within that 12, three dudes who really, really understood the heart of Jesus that started to lead the church. Why did he do that? Why was that his method? And so as we think about him inviting us into that, let's, let's just look at the math of why this makes sense, okay? So I'm actually going to pick on a couple people who came. Uh, I used to do ministry co on college campus. Two of my college students are here, actually. Joel and, and uh, Shadows are here. So Joel, we're going to use Joel. Raise your hand, Joel. Joel, thanks, buddy. Everyone give Joel a hand, round of applause. So Joel here, uh, let's say, so we're, we're going to do a 33-year, because I'm 33 years old, we're going to do a 33-year uh, experiment. So Joel today gets this special outpouring of the Holy Spirit, okay? And he is just full of vim and vigor for Jesus. And he decides, starting tomorrow, for the next 33 years, he's going to go to Times Square, and he's going to preach the gospel. He's got, like, one microphone and a speaker, and every single day Joel is in Times Square, 1,000 people decide to follow Jesus. Okay? So that's, 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 that's case one. That's Joel. 1,000 people a day. Next is, is Shadows. And me and Shadows, we're, I don't know, we, we don't feel like we've got that much of, a, of, of an outpouring. We just feel like normal dudes, right? You just feel like a normal dude? So we decide, you know what, I, let's just hang out for a year. You and me. Let's hang out for a year. Let's learn how to walk with God on a daily basis. Let's look, what it, let's look at what it looks like to, to study the scriptures, to pray, 
to, when, when the time comes to share our faith with other people, and outside of that, just love and serve people. And for a year, that's what we do. And at the end of that year, you and me, we decide, you know what? Let's just go, let's each one of us, let's go and do the same thing with one other person. Let's, and let's just have them pass it on. So we start on a journey of, of time, times, times one a year, times two a year. Okay, this is what Joel does after 33 years. 33 years, Joel has led 12 million and 45,000 people to Christ. Atta boy, let's give Joel a round of applause. That's pretty great, right? 33 years, that's amazing. That's a little bit more than Manhattan, well, you know, a little bit, or a little bit more than New York City. Well, yeah, New Jersey's in there. Shadow's in it. This is our impact after 33 years. 8 billion, 800, or 589,934,592. That's the difference between addition and multiplication. Now, when you, when you look at these numbers, we, as humans, we look at this and we go, that seems crazy. Does that actually work, right? How, wh- and why hasn't this happened? It's been more than 33 years since Jesus left. Why, has, why haven't we taken, this is the entire population of the world, 8 billion people, right? 33 years from now, it's not going to be. It, we'll probably need another one or two years after that. But why hasn't this happened yet? What are the barriers to this multiplication happening in our lives? We're going to describe three of them this morning. So th- there's, there's a passage that, um, yeah, that, that means a lot to Jana and I as, as we have um, ministered to college students for the last 12 years. And there's this passage, it describes this beautiful multiplication bearing fruit process that helps us understand the barriers to this happening, right? Because it sounds pretty easy to just be normal dudes, <laughs> be normal people helping other people walk with God. So why does this stop? Why doesn't this keep going? Why haven't we seen the whole world come to know Jesus yet. That's what we're going to look at this morning. So let me pray, and then we'll, we'll continue on. Jesus, thank you for who you are and uh, this, this beautiful mission that you invite us into. This, this patient, gentle mission where you don't demand a thousand a day, but you are looking for the gospel to bear fruit in our lives on a daily basis. And so, God, would you help us to see that this morning? Uh, in your name, amen. John 15 one through, uh, and we're going to go through all the way through, well, I'll say 17. I just said it now. We're going to go all the way through 17. The gos- this is about the gospel-bearing fruit. So here we go. Jesus is talking to his, to his disciples. This is, in the la- this is the last supper. He didn't stand up and say, this is my last supper. We, d- we called it that later. But this, this, it's called the last supper because we want to know how important it is, right? If you have one dinner left with your team, one, one chance left, what do you share? And so John 13 through 17 is some of the most beautiful, amazing truths about Jesus and his kingdom and his Father and the Holy Spirit. And so we really want to pay attention to, these, to this passage. And so here, here it is. Jesus says to them, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean or pruned because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in you, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. <laughs> apart from me, you can do nothing. So this, this uh, passage contains one of the first conditionals for bearing fruit. 
It's very, very simple. The barrier number one is that the gospel is not our home. Now, why do I choose the gospel? That, that's a word that you might hear in churches now or, or you know, just kind of toss around. Why do I choose the gospel? I like saying the gospel because the gospel means the good news, the good news of the kingdom, the good news that Jesus is proclaiming, and that is that we can have our home in Jesus. So this, this idea of abiding, it means to remain or make your home in. To make your home in. Abide in me uh, and I in you. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. So um, I, I'm going to bring my, my Iowa agricultural knowledge back here because you all wanted it. All that a branch can do in a plant. All the, the only thing that a branch does in, in, the, in, a, in a plant situation is that it, it receives nutrients and sends it out to where the, the fruiting things happen. It's interesting that we are the branches in this situation. We're not the roots. We're not the, the, the chloro, not chloroform. That's something very different. Cl- chlorophyll? Yeah, there we go. Uh, I got very excited about you uh, affirming me in that. Thank you, Sean. Um, the, we're, we're just a branch. We just receive. We just wait and receive. Isn't that, isn't that really interesting? We're, we're, not, we're not the planters here. We're just the ones, we're just the branch who receives the nutrients. And through us comes fruit. That's pretty special. What if the gospel was our home? What if the good news of Jesus, the relationship that we have with him, this redemptive outlook that we talked about, this life of compassion and mercy, what if that was our home? Let me be more specific. What if your first consultation when life is difficult was the gospel? What if your first call when something doesn't make sense was God? What if your first reach out, what if the place that you chose to live and receive truth from was the gospel? What if you chose to make your home when, when, when your identity, when your value was under attack? What if the gospel was your first consultation? I am not who this person says I am. I am who God says I am. I am his child. I am his friend. I am in his kingdom. I am his forever. I am his eternally. What if the gospel was your home? The problem is, friends, is that, the, and this happens so easily, this happens to me all the time, is that the gospel can, can slip out of not being our home. Our own identity, our own performance, our own perfection, our own character becomes our home. What do people think about me? Do they respect and love me? Do they respect and love Jared? Do they, do they see me as successful? Do they see me as, as important? They won't, they won't always, even after your best performance, even after your best week at work, even after you, you take care of someone that you love, they may or may not respect or love or affirm you. And even if they do, it probably won't last. That affirmation won't last. It's kind of interesting because um, affirmation is, is a big deal to me. It's, it's my, it's back in the 90s, I don't know if you kids know what this is, but they had the five love languages that came out a long time ago, and there's, there's five. It's definitive. There's only five. Uh, but one of them was at words of affirmation, being affirmed. And what's so funny to me is that 
the man's affirmation, I've received some really, really good affirmation from man. It's really awesome. But the ones that linger with me forever aren't the good ones. Those ones fade pretty quickly. It's the unaffirmations, <laughs> the deaffirmations that stick with me. What if the gospel was our home? Wherever we were, we were at home because we have the gospel with us. Barrier number one is that the gospel's in our home. Barrier number two, let's keep going. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Oh man, we don't like that verse. I'll come back to it. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples, my followers. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Verse 6, like I said, we don't like it. We don't like the fire. We don't like to talk about it. And friends, I am not a perfect and complete theologian on the doctrine of hell. Jesus does talk about it. It is complicated. But the best way that, we, that I can address it and address this passage is that if you are paying attention to the ones that are thrown into the fire, you are not paying attention to the right ones. And however long hell is or what hell looks like, I would love to have a conversation with you at one point, but what I do know that scripture says hell is, is that it's not meant to be a place where God gloats over those who don't choose him, but it's just the absence of his perfect love and his character. That's what hell is. That's why we say when, when the father turned his face away from his son, that Jesus actually entered hell in that moment for us. Jesus was willing to go to hell for you. But more importantly, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We tend to hear that last part, right? Ask whatever you wish be done for you. Oh, I've got a good wish list. I've got some things that would be really nice <laughs> to have. I've got some, yeah, there's, there's, there's that ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. But th there is a conditional here. If you abide in me, so we've talked about that, making the gospel our home. And my words abide in you. That's, what, what an interesting phrase, right? That, that his words are alive, waiting to make their home in us. You might think that's crazy. There's no way that that, well, how does that work? How do they, are, are his words alive? Well, yes, they are alive. <laughs> Scripture says that, that God's word is living and breathing. But how does that actually work? There's another, uh, another one of my favorite passages, Colossians 1. 3 through 6, and um, I'll read it quickly. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all, all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel, which has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. So listen to the catalyst there. They, they get the gospel, and then the gospel itself bears fruit. It bears fruit. This, this hope that we have in the gospel, it bears fruit of faith and love. The word of God can actually begin to bear fruit on its own. The gospel is alive and multiplying. Let me give you a real-life real example. So um, when I was, uh, this was about three or four years into doing college ministry, um, and 
yeah, I, I was a total punk about memorizing scripture. Okay, like they like we were telling people go memorize scripture, but I was like, nah, man, that's weird. Like, like I I did the little Christian boy wanna thing. I, I and I and I never won the competition. I don't know if you guys know about this. There's a whole group of Christians that do these competitions for children, where if you memorize scripture, that you go on and you compete with other people to memorize scripture. That's a little weird. I'm not gonna lie to you. That's weird. And I was one of those little boys, but I never won. So I was like, I'm not going to memorize scripture. I never got the chocolate. I never got any rewards. I was just in Awanas to, to stay busy on a Wednesday night. But my, my boss was like, well, what if, you, what if you did memorize scripture? And if you memorize these 60 verses, I'll buy you a pizza buffet. Not like, not like the restaurant, like one meal at a pizza buffet. That was poorly translated. I said, okay, I'll take the pizza buffet. And so for the first time in my life, I started to memorize scripture. And there was two verses that I really, really couldn't get over. Uh, Isaiah 26, 3, uh, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. And Isaiah 41, 10, fear not for I'm with you, be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Those two verses, I just couldn't get over because at that time I was struggling for the first time in my life with anxiety. Like real bad anxiety. The kind of anxiety where I would shut myself in the bathroom and shut myself in the shower for like an hour at a time in the fetal position because I just couldn't imagine leaving. I'd hide under the desk at times. That was the anxiety. Now, I, I needed some other help, but I started to memorize these verses and I started to think about what would, it, what would it be like if I lived my life where I just stayed on the help and the strength of God? And I stopped caring about, because honestly, a big, big part of my, my anxiety in that moment was how people viewed me. I couldn't imagine failing in front of people. That was, that was the, 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 the moments of anxiety. The gospel itself, the good news, it wasn't just that I memorized scripture. The scripture was about the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that despite my failure, despite even if I failed in this next event, he's going to help me and strengthen me and uphold me with his righteous right hand. God himself says, I am the one who helps you. We don't, that's not wishful thinking by humans, by the way. That's not us hoping. We're not saying God will help you so long as you really have faith and pray. No, God says, I am the one who helps you. I will help you. He's the one giving us that promise. The gospel is alive and multiplying. And so the second barrier is if the gospel is not at home in us, if we don't intentionally put the words of the gospel into our lives, now, it's easy with this moment, I'll, I'll be honest, it's easy with this moment to get into what I call a good day, bad day mentality, where you have a good holy day if you read your Bible, and you have a bad sinful day if you don't read your Bible. There's no command in, in, in the Bible that says if you, you have to read your Bible every day. Sounds, that's kind of odd, right? But like, we, we live, we, you know, if I don't read my Bible every day, God's got to be mad at me. If I don't have my Devo, if I don't pray every day, God's going to be mad at me. No, we do it the good news of the gospel in our minds, in our hearts every day. That's why we do it. And if you miss a day, God still loves you. He's not, he's not really that angry. He's not thinking, okay, well, I guess my grace is up for you today. You're going to have a bad day. That's why I talk about the gospel here, because the gospel is the full truth that Jesus died for you. And we talked about this last week, and he chose 12 people who betrayed him at the very end. His main followers failed bigger than any one of us ever will. Peter abandoned him. 
James and John peaced out. They all left. Well, John, John hung, hung out with Jesus', Jesus mom. That, he got some brownie points in that moment. That was, that was a good move. He hung out with Jesus' mom. But everyone else peaced out. But these are, the, these are the ones that he chose, friends. He is not shocked, frustrated, or angry at our failures and in our weaknesses. In fact, he is, chooses to be with us in those and help us. So why would I not want the alive and multiplying gospel in me? Why would I not want these joys in me? So how do we do this? How do we make the gospel at home in us? That's th- the question is, how do, I, how do I do this? So we're, we're gonna, I'm gonna answer that question in a couple minutes. The last barrier I wanna get to is, is, is the biggest barrier. This is, this is a pretty big one. Because the first two are, are just kind of hows. But the last one is about our attitude and our mentality. Verse 12 through 17. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Let me pause on that. <laughs> oh my gosh. How did Jesus love, <laughs> love them? He died for them. That's a pretty, thi- I'm not going to lie to you. This, this just went to here, okay? We just stepped it up a notch. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. The biggest barrier is that the gospel is not amazing enough to us. Let me explain what I mean here. Jesus is God, and he chooses to call us friends. That friend there, that friend is not just like a generic friend. That's like, uh, I, the best way I could bring it up to modern speak is this is your, this is his, they're his best buds, his closest friends. This word for friend, you didn't use for every kind of friend. This wasn't a Facebook friend. You guys know what Facebook is? I just dated myself, by the way. This is your closest, closest friend. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, that's a conditional, if you do what I command. But what is he commanding? To abide in his love, to remain in his love, to wait for his love, to live in his love, and to love each other the same. This is amazing, (laughs) friends. This is amazing. That, that period of my life when I had uh, the scripture memory uh, pizza buffet era, whatever we'll, we'll call that era, what was happening to me as I was, as, as I was studying these, these, these verses that I was memorizing, there, there's a whole pack, it's, it's, a, it's a pack of, of verses about God's promises to, to us about what, about what his life, what our life could be like if we lived on his promises. And what I was finding is that when we, when we address God with the conditionals, it's so funny because there are conditionals, but he has put much, much greater conditions upon himself. In fact, every condition really is still upon him. The only way that this is possible is if Jesus loved them even when they didn't act like friends to each other, even when they didn't act, friends, act like friends to him. He makes this possible because he keeps his word, and his words are too good to be true. Friends isn't the only amazing thing that Jesus calls us. He says we can be sons and daughters of the Most High God. 
we can be the, the king's kids, my old boss used to say. We're, we're the king's kids. Ephesians says that we are in, uh, we, we, our inheritance is the exact same as Jesus's. That what Jesus did when he, when he brought us into heaven is that when we get to step into heaven, we get to say, this is all mine too. He opened heaven to us. He lays down his life for his friends. And the other thing that I absolutely love about our gospel is that it's not some really secretive, cultish, manipulative mystery. Jesus made known every plan, like everything is made known about Jesus' plan. There's not, there's not a secret part, there's not a, like a holier tier of Christians where eventually like you reach the pastor level, you know, and, and you go to seminary and you receive this, like the secret, secret true knowledge of, of Jesus. Nah, friends, it's just Jesus. And he died for your sins because he loves you and he promises eternity and hope forever for you. That's it. That's the whole Bible. You want to sound really smart in a Bible study? Say stuff like that. You Come on up. You, I'll give the microphone to you. If there's no secret knowledge, he's made known everything. We don't have a God who keeps things from us to manipulate or control us. We have a God who gave the kingdom away. He walks with us. He's our friend. Friends, we have been entrusted by Jesus and empowered by the Father. This, these are two amazing truths here that I want to summarize. We have been entrusted by Jesus and empowered by the Father. He trusts you. He trusted these guys to go and make more disciples. And he trusts us to make more disciples too. Think about it. Jesus trusts you. You. He trusts you. You have been empowered by the Father. You've been given the Holy Spirit. Jesus and the Father are both on our side. This gospel is amazing, friends. This is an amazing gospel. And so when I think about this, of course I want to be at home in the gospel. Of course I, I want the, the gospel words to be at home in me. Jesus trusts me. And he asked for multiplication. So this is, these, these, are the, these, are, these are the truths that come out of both Colossians and John. One is that you will bear gospel fruit in your own life. You will bear gospel fruit. If you focus on, make your home in, and make the gospel home in you, you will begin to bear fruit in your life. I've shared this, this anecdote uh, previously of, of how there, there was a man who knew uh, my wife and I when we were first married, and then he saw us again five years later. And the greatest compliment I ever received uh, was from him. His affirmation has stuck. Uh, is he said, I can tell you're a much more patient and loving husband. Now, friends, I didn't go to a marriage class for those five years. I just, I was in a ministry, I was, in a, I was with friends who just made the gospel our home. Because when you study grace and mercy, hope and love, the concepts of the gospel, you will begin to change. It might not be overnight, and usually isn't. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that we are, we are all changing from one degree of glory to another. I've been there, friends, where I'm like, I'm on year three or four of trying to, to drop this, and it's, and it's still, it's, it's not gone. But Jesus is not surprised. He's a gentle disciple maker. We talked about this way, way back. This is one of my favorite, one of my favorite passages, is that Jesus says, yoke yourself to me for my, 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 my uh, burden is easy and my yoke is light. Jesus is a gentle disciple maker. He knows how you are. He remembers your frame. He knows your dust. Just focus on the gospel and you will bear fruit in your own life. And friends, you will, if you do that, bear gospel fruit in other, other people's lives. It will happen. 
One of those, the things that, that we kind of skipped over in that caution passage is that the gospel is alive and multiplying, and it cannot be stopped. It inherently is alive. You ever seen someone who, like, really, really loves something, like, I don't know, from 2012 to 2020, the Marvel series? There were, there was Marvel evangelists, right? There were, there were people who, if you didn't like Marvel, how dare, how could you not? And if you dared be like, I like Christopher Nolan's films, I don't care. There's not 20 of them. Okay, dude, okay, it's fine. I'm glad that they're, they're doing great, right? We, we love, there's, there's a lot of things to love, and I'm not, you know, I, I, I love them both, Marvel and DC, but when you begin to be in awe of the gospel in your life, it will spill out. Now again, I'm not talking about being a total, uh, this word was, I'll date myself again, a Jesus freak. This was a 90s term. Uh, being a total Jesus freak where like, you know, someone tells you about how the weather is today and you're like, oh, glory be to God. You know, like, can we just have a normal conversation? But I am talking about listening and learning and waiting for the opportunity to share the good news of the gospel in their lives. Give them some hope. Yeah, I know, our boss is really, really bad at being a boss. I'm sorry. But you know what? I think you're doing a great job. I see you, and I see your work. And, I, and, you're, and you're valuable to me, not just as a coworker, but as a friend. I really like your company. Imagine having that wherewithal. I don't, I don't have that. Having that, that perspective, because you, you're so satisfied in the gospel for your own life, you're bearing it in other people's lives as well. This will happen. And friends, inversely, though, if you want to see the gospel bear fruit in others, others' lives, and it's not happening, you should think about, am I at home in the gospel myself? Right? Maybe, you know, there, there's, there's those of us who are trying to share the good news of Jesus with those around us, maybe our friends and our family, and it's just not happening. I don't know, maybe I'm just not in love with the gospel myself. Therefore, when I, when I talk about it, this, this, this happens a lot, when you're not bearing the fruit uh, of the gospel in your own life, when you're not focusing on the gospel in your own life, you're trying to get other people to understand it, you resort to gu guilt and manipulation, right? Quick, quick, easy fixes. Friends, the gospel will bear fruit, and we need to be patient with it. It will multiply. You know, I think of uh, the parable of the sower. This is a, I, I'm using all the agricultural stuff today. I promise you, I, I've never worked, just because I'm from Nebraska, I never lived on a farm. I didn't hang out with animals all the time. I am a city slicker, but the parable of the sower, Jesus talks about how he, he sows seed and it falls on four different soils. Three of the, one of those soils, the, the, the seed gets taken away and immediately burned by, by Satan. The other three, they start to grow. The fourth one is the one you're looking for. The fourth one grows and bears fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. But the other two start to grow as well. And what's so fascinating about this parable is I think sometimes when we hear it, I want to immediately be the fourth soil and not go through any suffering or pain or test or trial or growth in between. Like, I want to hear something and be like, okay, I, I read the Bible today about patience, and forever I will be a patient man. No, it takes time. And Jesus is not in a hurry. <laughs> he wants you to make your home in him. Know him and let him know you. Let him know you. That part is really important. I think sometimes, um, for me at least, I, I, it, I just say, oh, God's sovereign, so he already knows what I'm going through. But I forget that, like, he really wants a relationship. 
right? Imagine if I, if I interacted with Jana that way. Like, Jana knows me, we're married. I don't need to tell her about anything that's been happening for the last, I don't know, month. Because she just knows. She may know, but she still wants to hear it from me. Same with Jesus. <laughs> He's very interested in your day. No, nothing is too small. That's what it means to make your home in him. It's, it's the mundane, too. It's not just the big, it's the mundane. Make the gospel your home. Make the gospel's words at home in you. And just begin to sow the gospel in your life. And, and again, friends, with, with others, I'm, you know, maybe there is someone that God's laying on your heart, oh, I gotta go talk to them right now. But more often than not, it's just, there's two, there's two things that I want you to, so there's two I words. I'm gonna use two I words. It's invitation and initiation. It's invitation. Just invite them. And I don't just mean about church. I mean invite them into your home. That's a, w- that's a weird thing for New Yorkers to do, I found out, moving from Nebraska. It's like, why would you go home? There's restaurants. Invite them into your home. Invite them into your life. And then I- initiate. Ask questions about their life. You won't believe th- how quickly I got to the gospel some of my baristas. They didn't even know that I was in ministry. I d- you guys are like, yeah, you're in ministry. I didn't even break that out. I just be like, hey, how's your day? Oh, but, but it was bad. Oh, I'm sorry it was bad. Can you tell me more? Oh, wow, you're actually asking. Yes, you, you told me it was a bad day. And then within minutes, I'm sharing the good news of Jesus with them. And I don't know what happened, but it was the gospel seed. Invite and initiate. Sow the gospel in your lives, friends. Be amazed by the gospel. This is the multiplying mission of Jesus. This is, this is how we get to eight billion. This is what we've been talking about before. And what I love about the journey that Jesus has us on is that it's a, it's a paradox, friends. You cannot sacrifice the relationship of Jesus for the mission. You can't. You can't, and you can't fast-track the mission. It has to be built off of a relationship with him, an ever-deepening relationship with him. You can't say at one point, I'm done with the gospel, and now I'm ready to go and and lead, you know, be Joel, and I'm going to go to Times Square and lead a thousand to Christ every day. It has to be built off of the relationship with Jesus, but at the same time, he does invite us into a mission. There is a purpose to this life. There is a mission that we can begin to see Others in, in a new light, in a redemptive light, where we hope that they find hope and joy in Jesus as well, and a hope that isn't built off of their own performance and identity, that they can find it in Jesus. It's both and. It's neither or. <laughs> it's not neither or. So I want you to think about that. The, the question I asked a little bit earlier is, how can I make the gospel at home in me? I'm going to give you an actual uh, minute of silence. One whole minute. I'm going to time it today. One minute of silence to think about this. This week, how can I make the gospel at home in me? And again, I don't want you to make some grand sweeping promise or gesture of forever and ever I'm going to do this. Just, just try it for a week. Just try whatever comes to your mind for a week. See how it goes. If you need to try something else, try something else. Jesus is, is, is a gentle disciple maker. How can I make the gospel at home in me? I'm going to give you a minute to, to reflect on this, and then we'll pray and we'll sing one last song.
Jesus, thank you for the gospel, the good news, your death and resurrection, the love that you have for all people. I think of, yeah, that you desire people to know you. You saw the crowds and you had compassion on them. That's the God that, that we worship. Yeah, God, we are in awe of you. Will you help us, Jesus, to make your gospel our home today and this week, that we would love your gospel, listen to your gospel. Yeah, and God, we do pray that it would bear fruit in our lives, both in us and through us, that people could, could see the hope that we have and see the hope that, that we have that's beyond um, yeah, everything in this world and, and has hope for some of the things in this world. And would ask and would want to know where they can get this gospel as well. God, thank you for what you've invited us into this relationship and this mission. We love you. In your name. Amen.